0: Isn't it great to sing the wondrous truth? The church shall never fail. It will always exist, though in a different form in the world to come. And that we still hold communion with those who have gone on before. We are in Acts chapter 10, continuing on, where we are left off from from last Sunday, I'm going to begin. Excuse <clears throat> me, reading from verse one. <clears throat> as we keep all this together, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household who gave alms at his charitable giving generously to, his pe- to the people and prayed to God always. <clears throat> About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained... All these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice who spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times. And the object was taken up again into heaven. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood Before the gate. God's word for God's people. And may God be blessed. So we saw last week a description of Cornelius. A Roman centurion who was a good and devout man. A man of charitable works. We saw his description in verses 1 and 2. A man who, even though he was a Gentile, had for the most part embraced Judaism. And had a very good reputation among all the Jews. Not just locally, but throughout the whole nation. This man received a vision from the Lord. Along with instructions, Cornelius was told that God had noted his prayers and his charitable deeds. But as we saw last week, those were not sufficient. Good as they were and given in faith. They still could not save. There was something greatly lacking. And so they could not deliver him from the guilt of his sins or bringing him into the eternal kingdom. But then there was a part that the angel could not deliver the part that was missing. For that was the gospel which God had ordained that it would be brought to mankind by mankind, not to be proclaimed by angels. You see, you have to know the gospel, believe the gospel, before you can proclaim the gospel. There's no such thing as an unsaved ministry can't be. It's an oxymoron. So as Ananias had to be prepared to go to Saul, Cornelius had to be prepared to go to Simon Peter. And now Simon Peter must be prepared to go to Cornelius. Cornelius is going to send three men to where Peter is staying. He fills them in on what had happened and how the angel had given him instruction. And since all this happened to Cornelius at the ninth hour, which would have been 3 p.m., those he would sending or be sending would go the next day. It was a 28 to 30 mile trek that they would start off on, And on the next day they began their journey and they got nearer and nearer to Joppa and as they did something happened to Simon Peter. Peter is out up again at the second part of the there are three times during the day that people would pray. And Peter goes up on the rooftop to pray. Up then Roofs were flat and they had walls on the side. They made for a, a very nice place to, to go and to meditate and to think of God's goodness. A great place for prayer and meditation. So as this is happening, we look first as we're going through this at the at the preparation. The Lord can reveal anything to us at any time. But he generally uses those times when he is being sought. We find that Peter, in verse 9, went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And as, which would have been noon, by the way, uh, we don't know what he's praying Uh, we're not told by the angel it's not revealed to us. Peter does not mention it to it. It's, it's not like Zacharias who was outside. It was inside the temple at the time of prayer praying for a son. Because we know he was praying for a son. Because the angel comes and says, your prayers have been answered. And you or your wife will have a child. Well, here we don't know what Peter is praying. Yet we see something. Something that shows true for all humans. All human nature. For all generations. And truly, all believers know about this. What happens? Simon Peter sets out to pray. And in verse 10, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat but while they made ready he fell into a trance now let us understand they weren't people at that time of three square meals a day and men, of, men who were devout generally waited till after this noontime prayer to have their first meal of the day so You can imagine that there is this time of of hunger that came across. But is it not at the same time the same for us? We go to pray. We set our minds and hearts towards prayer. And maybe like Peter, the stomach growls. Or maybe there's a sound afar off and we wonder what that sound was. Or maybe something else pops up in our mind, but we know what it's like to try to pray and be distracted. In fact, it is way too common, isn't it? So often, it's hard to think of a time when we pray that some kind of distraction doesn't come in, whether from the outside or from within. Maybe Peter's stomach growled. Maybe it was the smell, the aroma arising of the food being prepared. But Simon is distracted. And as I said, we never seem to be more distracted than when it is we take time to pray. But this hunger is providential. And here we see two things come together. We're going to see the supernatural and the natural coming together in the same place at the same time. While Peter waits for the food to be prepared, we are told he fell into a trance. Now notice, this is not the same thing that happened to Cornelius. Cornelius had a vision. But Peter is in a trance. The Greek word is ecstasis, Which we get our word ecstasy from. In essence, He's having what we might refer to as an out-of-body experience. John, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's very similar to what's happening to Peter. Peter. And here again, we have a wonderful combination of the natural meeting together with the supernatural. What condition is Peter in pre-trance? He's hungry, very hungry. And now, what do we have coming down from heaven? Well, in verse 11, now that he's in the trance, he saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet Bound at the four corners, descending to him, and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. So he's hungry. And what does he see coming down from heaven? A sheet. A a giant linen tablecloth, if you will, begins to descend, and in there all kinds of creatures. Now, I think it would do well. I know we like to think in pictures, and all of a sudden we have a picture before us, but I think it's impossible to picture what Peter is seeing. I mean, we can... Kind of imagine it, but you can't imagine a sheet big enough to hold a rhinoceros, an Angus cow, because God would send the best. Sorry, you Hereford people. but And various other animals of all kinds. In this sheet, it's in the sheet. And it comes... Lowered down. So rather than trying to get carried away with what might be the thing that he was seeing, this is not what we're supposed to focus on, although immediately that's where we go. We are to focus on the fact that in this great sheet were all kinds of creatures, meaning mostly what the Jews would regard as clean. And unclean, all kinds of four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And you might be tempted to ask, why didn't the Lord just appear to Peter and say, Three men are coming to you, Peter. You are to go with them and preach the gospel. Remember what I told you. Jesus said in Mark 13 and verse 10, the gospel must be preached to all nations. So Peter is not going to be the apostle to the Gentiles, but he is going to have contact with them. I turn, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, start at verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. The church will be made up of all kinds. The church is represented in the sheet. Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. So Christ and his church is represented here in one sheet. Understand what's going on here. Peter has to have a major overhaul in his thinking. Remember Jonah. Why did Jonah flee? Because he's a Jew and he's been told to go to Nineveh that is full of what? Gentiles. Why should I go and speak to those dirty people and potentially make myself unclean in doing so? In verse 14, he's commanded to rise, to kill, and to eat. But Peter said, Not so, my Lord. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. On this sheet are all kinds of animals. No notice what's missing? Fish. It's my kind of sheep. <laughs> Peter refuses. Although I do like fish and chips, but anyway. And the refusal is strong and polite. You just can't find good fish and chips. Never stop it. His refusal is in a strong yet polite way, but some things about Peter never changed. And three seems to be quite a number for Peter. So look at three episodes in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you he, the Lord, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, the things of man. So there's one. Now we go to chapter 26 of Matthew. And in verse 31, chapter 26, then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, surely I say to you, that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. I say, see again, Jesus has revealed to Peter the truth. And Peter says, Jesus, no, that's not right. That can't be right. And certainly, no, one, all of them are going to run away because I will not deny you. And of course, we know how that worked out. In John 13, Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. And in verse six of chapter 13 of the book of John, when he came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, "Lord, are you washing my feet?" Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So there you have three times Jesus makes statements. And Peter says, no, that can't be right. And tries to correct. So now we have this time in the vision. And he is told to rise, kill, and eat. And he says, no, 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 I've never done that. I'm not going to do that. You see, it's so ingrained in the Jews that even touching or bumping against Gentiles in the marketplace or on the busy street could make you clean, unclean for the rest of the day. But like anything that gets taken too far in the commands of God, man starts to pile things onto it. And it gets really confusing and way off target. In John chapter 18... We have a prime example of this. John 18. Jesus has been questioned by the high priest. The high priest is done talking to him. So they some of the Jewish leadership and some of their soldiers, they bring Jesus to Pilate. And in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. Watch it. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Now, the praetorium is the governor's, the Roman governor's dwelling place. It's it's an impressive place. But they, it's the official residence then, if you will, of the Roman governor, but they would not go in. Because if they go in, it might make them unclean. No thought given to what they had already done. And if they were unclean, they couldn't keep the Passover. Passover. But as it is with many, and we're dealing with this across the nation as far as the application of the the law of God, that some just can't get over the idea that there's a section of the law that God gave that's not applicable anymore. That some of God's plans for the Jews were not of everlasting quality. They were temporary. Jesus ended... The ceremonial section of the law, three sections of the law the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral. Well, especially the ceremonial law is gone. Why? Because all the ceremonial law did was point to Christ. How to be clean before God. So every time they went through a washing or cleansing or preparation of like that, it was to show them that they needed to do something outside of themselves to be acceptable to God. And when Jesus came, the ceremonial law is done. It's over with. Remember, the uh, Jewish leadership says to Jesus, hey, you disciples, they don't wash your hands before they eat. Well, they're unclean. They're eating. It. They just, all this nervous. Jesus, Jesus, was the one who makes, is the one who makes us clean before God. Makes us acceptable. He makes those who are unclean acceptable to the Father. They become clean. Remember when he washed the feet of the disciples? He said, you are all clean through the word, but not all of you. And he was mentioning referring to judas at that point so the jew jewish ceremonial laws are set aside why because they pointed to christ and christ was there and how well he's the way to make us clean before god through him his word his shed blood And so Peter's told, what God has cleansed you must not call common. And the way we read it can be stop calling what God has cleansed common. Stop it. Jesus said clearly, again as we understand Ceremonial laws being put to one side, he said, what goes into a man? It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of him. How can you call common what God has cleansed? What does common mean? The Greek word is koine, which uh, is also a description of the language that was used in the New Testament time. It was common language everybody used it there was nothing special about it and to call something common is to declare it to be unclean this illustrations a bit on the edge but I don't think it goes too far when you're driving down the road do you look when you're on the interstate you stop at a rest area Do you look at the commode in the rest area the same way you look at the one in your house? You know, some have those paper things that you can pull down and put over the seat if you want to. I've yet to go into someone's house and see those things you put down and (laughs) put over the, the seat. In the UK, sometimes they refer to it as the privy, which is short for private. The rest stop room is common. So three times the sheet comes down, perhaps each time the same words to overcome the obstinacy on the part of the one who acknowledges that the voice is God. And when the voice comes at command from God, and when that voice crosses one's preferences and prejudices and a pose of piety that goes beyond the will of God is maintained. I'll give you a, a quick illustration of that. Why do we have breakfast cereal? Because modern women are too lazy, that's why. (laughs) Why do we have breakfast cereals? You ever hear a man named C.W. Post? C.W. Post, along with the man named Kellogg, they were both Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists hold fast to the idea that you should follow the Jewish dietary laws. Again, a great confusion and an unnecessary thing for what God has cleansed. No one should call unclean. So they invented cereal. As an alternative to what? Well, people are eating too much pork. They're having sausage in the morning, various things like that. And these men thought, these men thought that pork products made men sexually active. And so therefore, we must come up with an alternative. So you have honeycomb to leave your honey alone. But you see, if you take the law of God and you go too far, the next step is even more ridiculous. Peter, by his word and action, is defiling what God has cleansed. Some have said, well, Peter th- might have thought he was being tested, and so therefore he puts up this, this fight But tell me a time that Jesus tested his disciples in such a way. It never happened. This would be a problem also for Peter later on, and and Paul would have to get into his face about it if we turn quickly to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2 verse 11 now when Peter had come to Antioch, I would stood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men, before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, the men from James, the Jews, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with the hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, and this is a terrible way to speak to a pope, (laughs) if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature." Nature And are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no man, no flesh shall be justified. comes three times to Peter and then finally we see the object was taken back up to heaven. It ascended. The same words used of the ascension of Christ. And this is great significance to this, to this descending and ascending. Jesus took with him all that he had made clean. Now, quickly, to close up here, there are some improvements, some things to take in as we survey all this. <clears throat> the first thing I would have you to see from this is coincidence, coincidences don't exist. As Cornelius's men were closing in on Joppa, God began his work on Peter and finished it just as they arrived. So it would be fresh in Peter's mind and no objections <clears throat> could come to him Secondly, Christ is our source of cleansing. All in him are cleansed from the defilement of their sin and all from all nations who come to him. Know this cleansing. But thirdly, Peter needed to be told three times what he must do. Even the best of us, or those we think are the best of us, can be hard-headed and slow to grasp. Fourthly, we need to be very, very careful about what we pull out of the Old Testament as laws for living. We are under the moral law, not the civil and the ceremonial. We are under the moral law And the moral law takes in everything, our behavior before God, our attitude, our actions before God, and our actions before our fellow men. Some people who for the sake of self-imposed piety will put restrictions on people that God never intended them to have. I remember one time a fellow saying, I'm a Christian, so I don't drink, I don't dance, I don't smoke, and I don't do drugs. That makes you a Christian? Let's see. David drank, David danced. I don't know if he smoked. If that's what you think Christianity is, and unfortunately there still are many who feel like it's a system of don'ts. And so afterwards I questioned, you say you don't drink, you don't dance or do drugs. Are you sure? What'd you have this morning? I had a sausage biscuit and coffee. You had a drug. What's in your coffee? Come on, fess up. It's just foolish to think that that is what defines Christianity. A system of man-made laws that we don't do that. That's the thing that Jesus fought during his earthly ministry. The crazy additions to the law of God that the Jewish leadership could put on Fifthly, this is a little cheeky one, but we've got to put it in there. God does not promote the vegetarian lifestyle. (laughs) There were no vegetables in that sheet. Sixthly, and, and very, very important here. If God is going to do something, he doesn't confine it, that info, to just one person. You notice Cornelius gets a vision. Peter gets a trance, but it's about the same thing. Ananias gets a vision. Paul, Saul gets a vision. All about the same thing. God does not see, there's no one person, you see. That's the problem. So many times people have come and said, well, God has revealed to me, and this kind of thing, that he revealed it to me only. Well, the moment you hear that, that's the time to walk away. And then lastly, you who in Christ are not common, not unclean. And since he has washed you, <clears throat> you cannot become unclean again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is the last place we're going to look. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 9, see, there are those who say that people who are caught in certain sins or or certain lifestyles and behaviors, they can't be changed. Leave them alone. Verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, notice what he says next. And such were some of you. All right, what happened? But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord, Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. That means you're cleansed from it all. And you can't be uncleansed once Jesus has cleansed you. John says in 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In Christ, always clean. Never defiled. We may feel that way from sometimes from our sins, But in reality, justification is a one-time full covering of us where we are brought before God and Christ's righteousness applied to us and we're claimed not guilty. And with God, there's no double jeopardy. What God has cleansed. You cannot call common. Matters not where they come from. What they look like. How they dress. How many tattoos they have. Or how many earrings stuck in their ears. If they truly have come to embrace Christ. Christ has cleansed them. And we do wrong to think. Otherwise. Let's stand together for prayer.